Okay, John chapter 14, let's begin in verse 16. And we're going to jump around a little bit um, in John. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also at that day. You will know that I am in the father and you are in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now skip down to verse 25, same chapter. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then go over to John 15. Next chapter, I'm going to read a couple verses there. John 15, and let's begin reading in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now go over to John chapter 16. And we'll read one more section. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Let's pray together. Father, we welcome your spirit here. We recognize he is omnipresent. He's everywhere already. But we're grateful, Father, that when we are gathered together in your name, Jesus, that there's a special type of uh, manifestation of him that we get to enjoy. And we recognize that. We want to learn all about him. 
Father. We know that's your will. And so we pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit as we always ask. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Your servants are listening, Father. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The subject of the Holy Spirit does not come up very often, uh, all that much, among God's people. I mean, in one sense, that's a good thing, because as we'll see, the the Holy Spirit does not testify of himself. He's always pointing to Jesus. He's always testifying to people that they should focus their attention on the Lord Jesus. So in a sense, that's good, because we want to point to the one that the Holy Spirit is pointing to, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But in another sense, it is a real tragedy that we don't speak of the Holy Spirit as much as we should and all the things associated with that. God has intended a dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit is essential for a successful Christian life. And that's what we want as believers. And more than what we could ever want, God the Father wants us to have a successful Christian life. Now, people define success in many different ways. What's really important, though, is for us to focus on how God defines success related to the Christian life. And what we see in the book of Acts is exactly that, a successful Christian life lived out among the believers, and it was completely related to a complete and utter dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's what we see. And Luke, who wrote the book inspired by the Holy Spirit, was very careful to highlight and emphasize that fact throughout the book. Sometimes you may get a Bible and you're looking at the beginning of the book of Acts and you're looking at the title and you see that it says Acts of the Apostles. I bet you not one apostle would appreciate that if you could ask them from that time period. You mean this book of Acts is the Acts of of you guys? No, no, not at all. In fact, some have said that it'd be better to, that it would be said or written the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what you see. You see in Acts chapter 15, them say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We also see where it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We read that in Acts chapter 13. Paul and his team were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. The, the, the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples to be able to do miracles and to be witnesses to Jesus and so forth. Later, Paul would say, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. And again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to get to it. We're going to deal with the baptism with the Spirit and so forth in, in the coming weeks. But they were changed. They were entirely different after that fact. And it was like the full revelation of them understanding that the Lord Jesus was just going to continue his ministry, but he's going to do it through the Holy Spirit and through them. And that was kind of progressive revelation for them. That was something new to them. They didn't understand that. 
And at this point, in these verses that we're looking at this morning, they were hearing it for kind of for the first time. I mean, the Holy Spirit was mentioned in the Old Testament. But so much of his ministry, his role, the personality of him and so forth, it wasn't really emphasized until the, the revelation given in the New Testament. And so they were completely dependent upon the Spirit, and it needs to happen for us. We need to know him. We need to know the Holy Spirit. He's one of the, one of the members of the Trinity. God reveals himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each of them have a relationship with one another. They're co-equal, co-eternal. And, and so we don't speak of the Holy Spirit as much, but we need to know him. We need to know his leading. We need to know his voice. We need to know his empowering, his fellowship, his baptism, his refilling, his gifts. We need to know what grieves him. We need to know what quenches him. We're told do not quench the spirit. Do not grieve the spirit. We can stop him dead in his tracks because we're more important or we're more powerful than him. Absolutely not. But he is a gentleman and he will not force himself upon us. We need to know what it means to lie to the Holy Spirit. We're told that in Scripture, that they lied. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. We need to understand those things. And so often in churches, many churches, not all of course, but in many churches you usually have two extremes. Either you have an unbiblical, out-of-control emphasis on the Holy Spirit, where people are ascribing things to the Spirit that look nothing like Christ, that are against His Word, that are a product of manipulation and peer pressure and psychosomatic, every, I mean, all the things you can imagine. They're there. there and maybe some of you have been involved in that, where you're a little bit, Ugh, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. I've experienced some things attributed to the Holy Spirit that didn't line up with Scripture, and you're afraid, you're a little gun-shy. I understand that. I've been there, trust me. <laughs> If I went and told you the things that I've experienced and been a part of related to being out of balance and unbiblical, you'd probably laugh for a good hour. And I'd be laughing right there with you. But I was a new Christian. I didn't know the Bible as well back then. And I didn't know how to test things by Scripture. I didn't know the safety of knowing things by the Scriptures and letting God define those things instead of man defining those things or experience defining those things one of the safeguards i learned eventually was asking did jesus teach it or practice it was it practiced in the book of acts and was it taught on in the epistles that threefold test has saved me so many times from things and doctrines that have blown through the church that are not biblical and and so the bible has to define what is of the spirit and so forth And we can forget that the Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ in the Bible. So if it doesn't look like anything Jesus would ever do, then it's not of God. Or if people ascribe things to the Spirit and they're saying, He's making me do do these things. No. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. We're told that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So there's a lot of weirdness. That's one extreme. But then the other extreme... It's probably way more common is that 
the gifts of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, and so forth are not for today. That that was just to get the church going, just to get the church started. And then when the canon of Scripture was completed and the Bible was completed and so forth, then we don't need those things anymore. And all those things passed away with the apostles and so forth. And, and, and you know, maybe the gift of mercy is still there, the gift of teaching, but not all the supernatural things that no one can fake. <laughs> that either has to be the Spirit or it's not of God at all. Those things, I know there's abuse to it, but those things are still for today. And so you have whole denominations that are completely shutting out the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us. And you and you have to honor him and give him room and so forth. There's churches where if you no one wants to say Holy Spirit because they're afraid something will happen out of their control or something will happen that, that's different from what their agenda is for that day. And and so God wants to change things up. And when he changes things up and so forth, then individual needs are met, like he does here at times. So he won't protest. He won't throw a tantrum. He's a gentleman. He'll just bow out and he'll just let you go and do your thing and the power of your own strength and your own wisdom and so forth. And, and there won't be any power there. It'll be devoid of any power. The church is supposed to be inexplicable. The church is supposed to be unpredictable. Your life is supposed to be unpredictable. Your life is supposed to not be able to be explained by human means. It's, they're supposed to be, what's going to happen with that guy's life next? Not in a weird way, not in an unbiblical way, but it's not supposed to make sense. Sometimes people ask me related to our church, what do you plan on doing here? Or what, how do you see things, you know, this many months from now? Or what would you like to see? And I say, I don't know. I really don't. I know that there's biblical basis for what we do related to Acts 2.42 and Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, and our philosophy of ministry and all those things. But God, I don't know, I don't know what God's going to do in my life in 10 minutes from now. I don't know. I don't want to be presumptuous like that. And I want the church to be all that he wants it to be because it's his church. It's not my church. The longer I pastor, and I've been pastoring since 2003, So 12 years. The longer I pastor, the more I want to just let go and let him have his way with my life and with the things that I'm a part of related to ministry. And also as a senior pastor, one of the things I've learned, and it's increasing, is that I want, I recognize that my preferences don't necessarily at all equal God's will for the church. There are things that we do that I don't like here. Not that I'm like, this is horrible or I'm, you know, but it's just not my preference. And that's okay because it's not my church. And, and he puts people that he wants in certain positions and I trust they hear the spirit and so forth. And, and I'm totally okay with that. And in and, and our ministries and in our lives, we have to be willing to let him have his way, even if it goes against our preference. The Lord Jesus said it's his church. He said he would build it. That means he hasn't called me or anyone else to build it. So it should be unpredictable. I want to read you a scripture from John chapter 3. It's a very well-known passage. Verses 7 and 8. It's not usually the verses we focus on the most in this passage. But he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That means a lot of things, but it really 
one of the things it means is that our lives should be unpredictable in terms of what he has us in the middle of. The church should not be any more predictable than leaves on a tree on a windy day. But there's a lot of different church models out there. There's a lot of different ways to do things. There's the business model. There's the marketing model. There's the cell group model. There's the there's so many different models out there. The miracles every Sunday. We're going to have miracles every single day of the week this week. I don't see that in the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts was written over, it was written in the, covering a time period of about 30 years. There wasn't miracles happening every day. Some days I'm sure there were multiple miracles or whatever, but we can't conjure that up and make that happen. Where is the, we had this plan, but the Holy Spirit overruled us, and this is what we're doing right now. Where, where are those things? That's what God wants. He wants us to be flexible. And that doesn't mean that God hasn't led us to make the decisions that we've made to how we set things up in general and all of that. It just means he wants the freedom to be able to change things up. Just like in the book of Acts, anything was possible. It was anything but predictable. When you meet the disciples someday in heaven, ask them how much of the book of Acts that they knew was going to happen in one moment to the next. Well, why should it be any different than our lives? The book of Acts never ended. There is no the end at the end of the book of Acts. A lot of ministries have called themselves Acts 29 to communicate that fact that the the book of Acts never ended. So if you can explain it, it's probably not of the Spirit. If it's unexplainable, then it's probably a result of the Spirit, generally speaking. Now in our verses today, the Lord Jesus, he's preparing them for his, his departure. He's comforting them. And one of the ways he's doing that is he's talking about the Holy Spirit and he's promising the Holy Spirit to them. He wants them to know that they're not going to be left alone. Look at chapter 14, verse 16, the first couple verses there. John chapter 14, we'll go through these verses that we read earlier a little bit. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17 of chapter 14. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now we're going to get into the person of the spirit a little bit more next week, but just off the bat, you see all these personal pronouns. He, 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 I think 16 times between chapters 14 and 16, he refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. And that bothers some people because the Greek word for spirit is pneuma and that's in the neuter gender. So that bothers them. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He has personality. We're going to look at that next week. But notice he says the helper there. And that's the Greek word parakletos. And para means alongside. Parallel. We get that word parallel from para. Comes alongside. It means a a helper that comes alongside. Or someone that comes along with you to assist you like an assistant there. But that what's really interesting, though, is the word another there. Now, in English, that doesn't really mean much to us. But in the Greek, it's very, they had a very specific word for another. They had a Greek word for another of the same kind, alos. And then they have a Greek word, heteros, where we get our word heterosexual. That means saint, that another of the same or another of a different kind, rather. And so he was saying something very specific. And so they could say, like for me, if I was, let's say I was enjoying Pop-Tarts 
on some Saturday morning, right? You guys know I love Pop-Tarts. And, you know, and, and, you know, I happen to have some blueberry ones and I happen to have some strawberry ones. And I just had a strawberry one because I normally would never just have one. I mean, that's ridiculous. So, I, I, you know, someone gives me a strawberry one. I say, you know, give me, give me um, Alice Pop-Tart. If we do both new Koine Greek and so forth, they would, they would immediately know to give me another strawberry one. But if I said, give me a heteros Pop-Tart, then they would know I want one of a different kind. They'd give me the blueberry one. So they could just say it with a different word. We can't do that. So when the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to give you an alos parakletos, he's saying, I'm going to give you another helper who's going to come alongside and help you of the same kind, just like me, just how I've been. I've come alongside you. I've been everything that you've, you've needed me to be in your life. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give one, someone to you that's exactly like me to come alongside and help you. That, and notice he says, he will abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is given to us forever. In other words, past this life. You ever thought about that? I believe we're going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit in our new bodies. I believe that. At least he's going to be upon us. Why would it be any worse in heaven? Just because we have a new body doesn't mean that I wouldn't want God the Holy Spirit living inside of me like he does now. So I believe that. But he says the Spirit is going to be with us forever. Notice verse 17, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice he says the Spirit of truth. That's important. Because everything that the Spirit's going to, how he's going to work in my life is going to bring me into truth. Everything that he speaks to me about it's going to be truthful every situation he's going to lead me in is going to be about the truth he hates falsehood jesus said over and over again assuredly most assuredly i say to you and literally in the greek it was amen amen i say to you or that's the truth i'm really 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 telling you the truth here you can believe exactly what i say that's how god is he wants us to know the truth and the spirit of god who is our teacher which he'll say in a, in a, in a little bit He's going to always tell us the truth. And thus, we should always be telling other people the truth. Verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see... I can't. I read that wrong the first time. I'm going to start again. Take a running start. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father... And you and me, and I and you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Jesus said at one point, if you love me, obey my commandments. I've had him tell me that before. I would, I've told him, I love you, Lord, and say, well, then obey my commandments. He, he keeps saying it. Um, I don't, you know, I think I'm obeying him, but I mean, I can grow, of course, but that's my issues. Anyway, um, it says, and he who loves me, And it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As we reveal that we are authentic believers through obedience to God's word, we demonstrate our love for Christ. And what I wanted to zero in on is the end of verse 21. It says, I will love him 
and, the, and manifest myself to him. The Lord Jesus loves to manifest himself. Sometimes people will say to me, I want to experience God. There was even a famous book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And what I always tell him, I say, you don't need to read that book. I'm not saying it's bad, but, you know, just obey the Lord. Obey the Lord and he will manifest himself to you in ways that you can, can't even imagine. Just obey him. And sometimes we have these areas where we have these willful disobedience. We will not repent. We will not turn to him. We will not ask for forgiveness. We will not change by his grace and by his power. And we wonder why we're not, he's not manifesting himself to us like he once did. And so he says, obey me and I will manifest myself to you. But how does he manifest himself to us? The Holy Spirit. That's how he manifests himself to us. Now skip down to verse 25, John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 25 reveals it is the Spirit who teaches us what we need to know. And notice he says there, all things. All things. He teaches us all things things. There are people sometimes that will come to me after the service and say, thank you so much for saying this, 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 and I never said them. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't. I know what I say. And I believe that's God, over, not just overruling bad sermons, <laughs> but I think that he is, um, he's teaching. He's taking his word and he's saying things that I'm not saying, or he's illuminating something that I said, just a little um, not, not, the, not the bad illustrations and the bad jokes, okay? And he doesn't use those things, I'm sure. But he'll take like some little scripture that I say and he'll do a whole thing on it in someone's heart. That's the Spirit teaching us. But you have to be dependent upon the Lord so often for that to happen. There are times where he tells me, do not put any other note. Don't bring notes. Just have the verses. And I'll come up here without any anything to say you're like yeah we know that we're we were aware of that no but you know and people won't know any difference because obviously i've studied and he's poured into me and so forth but he keeps me dependent upon him because he wants it to be a hundred percent of him that's what we're praying for so that's a gracious thing that he that he does that obviously it goes beyond what we do on sundays in our the corporate study of god's word and it goes in our private study when you're having your devotions with him he wants to teach you. Open up your heart to him. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say to you. He will speak. Sometimes we're so busy thinking and talking and everything, we're not listening. And he wants us to listen and get quiet before him. You ever just sat quiet before him and just said, Lord, speak to me? So much of great prayer times and just communing with him is just speaking. You know, one thing I tried once in the, as a new Christian, and I've continued some, at some points, different times, where I will write. I will, I will sit down and I will have a pen and paper and I'll just say, speak to me. And I'll just start writing and you just watch what happens. You'll understand how God <laughs> speaks to us and you just start writing and you just start, he just starts speaking things to you and you start lay, lay, laying those things out. And it's a beautiful thing. 
but he also teaches us related to life lessons. <laughs> Not just scripture. He'll say, hey, remember, see how you did that? This is what I'm teaching you through that. Or he'll, you ever had him do this where you'll be looking at someone else's situation and he'll speak to you and say, now learn from that, son. This is what could happen to you. Or do this differently than what they did. Whatever it is, he, he teaches us. That's, that's him leading us into truth. That's him uh, saying, speaking to us in all things. I remember one of my mentors said to me years and years ago, he said, whatever situation you're in, even if it's something that people mean for evil for you, ask, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this situation? What are you trying to say to me right now? And he'll do it. And it's beautiful when he does it because he does it so perfectly. He also says in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit would help us remember the word of God. I don't, mean, I don't believe it's just for the original disciples because I believe that is true, obviously. That's the main thing that he's talking about here. He brought to their remembrance all things. So he, he validated the Old Testament and he promised the New Testament and guaranteed that what we would have today would be the word of God because he promised to the disciples that he would bring back everything to their remembrance. You ever wonder, how did they know that? How did they hear the, the prayer in John 17, you know, that great high priestly prayer or these other things where they weren't there? It's because the Spirit spoke to them and said, this is what happened, write this down. But the broader application is that he brings these things to our remembrance too, related to the Word of God. As I've always said, and it wasn't, it's not original, that's why it's good, I told you that, um, that it's our job to get the Word of God in us, it's his job to get the Word of God out of us at the perfect time. How many times have you been in a situation where you're, you're needing God's word and all of a sudden you're talking to someone about God's word and it just starts coming out and you just start like, whoa, I didn't even remember that verse. I haven't thought about those verses in years and years and years. And he brings it out. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. And then he says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid now picture them they're thinking that jesus is going to go away they've lived with him in his presence for over three years this is right before he's going to be arrested and so forth he's saying i'm going to go away they would be so afraid be so afraid and he doesn't want our hearts to be troubled he doesn't want us to be afraid and we have just as much the compensating factor of the holy spirit as these disciples did they didn't have any more of the holy spirit than we have he didn't, they didn't have any more of the, the potential ministry of the Spirit in their lives as we do. And even though they were facing leaving Christ, his physical presence, and we've never had to deal with that, we have other things that we struggle with. And the Holy Spirit's ministry to come alongside us and help us in our time of need and be all that we need him to be is just as proficient as, as his ministry in the original disciples' lives as well. So it's important for us to see that. Now skip over to chapter uh, 15. And let's look at um, a couple verses in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the second time the Lord Jesus refers to him as the spirit of truth here. It's important that we see that. But notice also in verse 26 that he says the spirit will testify 
of me. When we align ourselves with the Spirit's ministry of testifying about Jesus Christ, we are aligning ourselves with God's purpose for the Holy Spirit's ministry. He's always speaking of Jesus. He's always pointing to Jesus. That's why I personally don't care for symbols or anything that focuses on the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I don't personally like it. I don't feel comfortable with it. Because he's always pointing people to Jesus. So I don't believe he wants us to point people to him. And so he's always going to say amen to what we say about Jesus that's biblical in the hearts of those that don't know Christ. He's always going to say amen to that. And that's important for us to know. Now let's look in chapter 16 here as we finish up. Chapter 16, let's begin in verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. They have complete sorrow. And notice he says that it's filled their heart. He recognizes that we can sorrow to the point where it absolutely fills our hearts. And we're consumed by sorrow. And I love the fact that he cares about that. And it matters to him. And he wants to comfort us and help us. Then he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I say, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And I want to zero in on the word advantage there in verse 7. Advantage? I mean, I know that they would be so content and happy and overjoyed and thrilled to have him say, it's going to be exactly the same as how it's been. As it was when me being physically in your life, and it'll be you'll be just as well off as if I was here with you. But he goes one step higher than that. He says it won't be the same. It'll actually be better. You'll actually have an advantage that I go away. Can you imagine that? And the reason why is because Jesus was limited. He chose to limit himself related to location. He could only be one place at a time. But now, through the Holy Spirit, his ministry is going to continue all over the place. Wherever they were at, he was going to be with them, present with them, and working through their lives. And that's why he could say, greater works will those do that believe in me. Because not only the gospel, of course, was going to go out and so forth, but all those that receive Christ and become changed and be different, they are going to be going out and doing the same things that, that he did. That's why Jesus sent them out, to train them, to get that, that, that practical experience under his care and under his guidance, to correct them and to help them and to shape them and so forth, of when you do this, do that, or when you, you, know, when you cast a demon out, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your, your lamb is, is written in, the, in God's book in heaven. All these things that he was guiding them in. And so now when he went away, now they were going to have a better situation. Not just as good as, better. But to receive that and to understand it and to walk in the reality of that, we have to walk in the fullness of what he has wanted us to uh, walk in to fully engage the Spirit, to fully be filled with Him, to be refilled with Him, to not grieve Him, to not lie to Him, to not quench Him, but to be submitted to Him and His leading. 
And to have God come in and overfill it, overwhelm us and overflow our lives. Jesus talked about rivers of living water coming forth from our lives. Torrents. It means gushing huge torrents of living water. When you go to Israel today and you look at the, the Jordan River, it comes out of a couple, two or three different springs, natural springs. And when you go to Israel, they go, they take you to these lo- the locations where they're coming forth and it just looked like water erupting out of the ground where the Jordan River starts or one of the places where it starts. And they knew that. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Out of your, the innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's the spirit. Water has always been a symbol of the spirit. They knew exactly what he was talking about. He poured out that, on that day of the feast, he poured out the water down the steps of, of, of the gate, by the gate there, and, and talked about rivers of living water. That's what he has for each one of us. And we're missing out on that when we, when we cut ourselves off from that relationship. And it's, that's, he doesn't want that. That's what this whole series is about. For us to focus on how God wants to use the Spirit in our lives so that we can be the Christian that God has called us to be. And there's, now he talks about the role of the Spirit in the world, the, how he works through the, in the world's lives or the people in the world's lives. He says in verse 8, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more, of judgment because the rule of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit's role right now is to convict the world of sin. And we, we're, we're lousy Holy Spirits. <laughs> we don't convict the world of sin. We can't. The, the, the conviction of the Spirit is, is where he says you're guilty and there's no wiggle room. There's no finding a loophole. We, when we try to convict the world, first of all, we don't know their heart. Secondly, we don't know how to build, present a case that's airtight. And people find loopholes. But God comes in and says, by his spirit, that's wrong. We don't have to say that everything in the world that's wrong is wrong. I mean, God's called us to be salt and light and speak the truth and to, you know, have the standard before everybody related to God's word. There's a time for that, obviously. But don't forget that the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives and that he convicts them of their sin. He hasn't called us to be spiritual attorneys. He hasn't called us to be spiritual cops. He's called us to be spiritual paramedics. And people know already that they're guilty. I don't have to convince them that they're sinners. There's a whole teaching out there that says I have to go through and itemize every little thing and show them that they're sinners. They already know they're sinners because the Spirit's good at his ministry. I just need to make the, help them make the connection that their, their sin is going to result in, in, in sure judgment and there's a Savior I need to understand that God already is working through people's consciences and and he's working through what they know is true and so forth. I I don't have to do that. He does that. He does a way better job than I ever could. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, there's the third time he said it, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not seek, speak rather on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. 
Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The third time the Holy Spirit's been referred to by the Lord Jesus as the Spirit of truth. He doesn't want us walking in anything less than 100% of truth. With our personal lives, with what we believe, what we practice, he's not aiming at 99.9. He's aiming at 100%. And that's why we need to be dependent upon him. We need to know his word. We need to study his word. Because everything that we believe and practice and lead other people into and so forth, is we're going to be held accountable for that. And he knows that. And that's what's going to set us free. That's what's going to make a difference in this world. And all those things are going to bring glory to him. They're going to relate to the things to come. They're going to relate to the things that we need to proclaim to people and so forth. And it's going to be a beautiful thing as we yield to him. As I close, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. He has not left us as orphans. But the problem is sometimes we live as if we were. We live as if we don't have anyone to help. Sometimes we're helpless. We're living our life practically as helpless people. And all this time he has, a, has someone who lives inside of us that wants to come alongside and help us. But we're not taking advantage of that helper. He's provided a helper, but we're not letting him help us. You ever had someone that doesn't want any help? I think I'll just volunteer. I guess I'm the only one here. But, you know, when you're working on something, someone comes alongside. Usually it's your spouse. Do you need help? No. Do you want help? No. And you're just doing your thing, doing your thing. And, but you look like you really need help right now. I know that, but I don't need any help. And you keep failing and you keep struggling and you can finally, okay, okay. And you have to admit that you needed help, ask for forgiveness and the whole thing. And that's, isn't that a picture of us sometimes in, in our walk with him? I'll do it myself. I don't need your help. And we're making it so much harder on us. And you know, in some things, we can have a limited success with that. But we don't remember that he wants us to have so much more success, for one. Number two, he wants it to be so much easier than it really is. And three, the time that will be freed up as a result of that, he has all these other things he wants me to engage in and do for him. But I'm letting him, (laughs) I'm putting him on the side in the sense where I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and then I'm limited in terms of what he wants to do through my life. It's so much easier than what we make it out to be. Just think of you standing before Christ someday. And him laying out your life and saying, I'm talking about if you know Christ, you're, you're in front of him and you're saying, he's showing you all the things that he wanted to do through your life and all of that. And you're, he's showing you how much easier it could have been if you just let him do the work through your life. And, and, and you're just bummed out, I mean, or disappointed or, you know, like, oh no, I'm so sorry, you know, and you're seeing that. Pretend that you know all that now. So that you can just let him do everything. Just let him do everything. He wants to do the work, spiritually speaking. He hasn't called us to strive. He hasn't called us to roll up our sleeves and do it in our own strength. He's called us to let him do the work through our lives. And there's a way that, that, what that, there's a way that that's supposed to happen. And, and there's, there's, there's a way that that's supposed to look like. Or it's supposed to look like a certain... Um, and that's what I'm excited to see as we, as we go through this series here. We need to get to know him. You're going to be challenged. I'm going to be challenged as we go through this series. Because knowing the Holy Spirit and knowing his gifts and knowing the baptism with the Spirit and knowing about being refilled with the Spirit, all these things, 
being quenching him, grieving him, all these things, those things challenge us, especially if our experience is, we feel like our experience that we've had related to those things are real and they, we find out that they con- contradict God's word. I had to deal with that because I was in a part of the body of Christ that was very zealous for the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. And I had many experiences that I had to submit to God's word and realize that I need to test truth by God's word. I need to test my experience by the word of God, not the other way around. And so I would ask that all of us would be open to him speaking to us anything he wants to share with us regarding changing our views upon things and so forth and and learning about how he wants us to function in the power of the spirit. We should want a deeper relationship with him at all costs. We should want to go into the deepest parts of what he wants for us. And it takes humility. And it takes being yielded to him and submitting to his word, letting his word define our experience. This world needs a supernatural church, church. This world needs signs following. This world needs when we preach. I mean, if you go and talk to the gospel for Asia missionaries in India, miracles are normal for them. They can't believe that we're not experiencing that today. It's very typical for them. I'm not saying every single day or whatever, but I'm saying they have healings, they have supernatural things. I mean, I've been in Russia where there was a lady that had a tumor the size of a golf ball on her back, underneath her skin. She had me feel it. And we prayed for her and it disappeared. I mean, gone. It was hard. A golf ball sized tumor, gone. Like I couldn't find it. And she's weeping and crying and all of that. God's real. His, his ministry is real. A church without the power of the Holy Spirit is completely devoid of what God wants it to be for the, for the gospel to be preached in the way that it should be preached. They should look at our lives and go, Hi, that's like wind blowing through a tree. I don't know where that person's going. I don't know where they came from. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't even know how they're going to dress one day or the next. I don't even know what food they're going to prepare when I go over there. I mean, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it's just unpredictability not for the sake of being weird or different or whatever it's just the fact of when you're led by the spirit look at how all the different ways that jesus worked he didn't do things the same way on purpose because we would put him in a little formula he has to work this way if he doesn't do it these these things this way then he's not at work he's not into that as with the famous saying goes we can't put him in a box he'll just get right out of the box so we need to be flexible and open and willing for him to change things up. And, have, and maybe you're here today and you have, you've been, you're not in willful disobedience. You've been trying to obey the Lord the best that you can. And, you're, and your life is unexplainable. Like it doesn't make sense to you. It's not just it doesn't make sense to other people. It doesn't make sense to you. And I want to encourage you this morning that the disciples and the people in the book of Acts, they, their lives didn't, couldn't be explained by themselves either. They couldn't explain their lives. So, so if your life is inexplicable today, it could very well be because the Spirit is leading you and he doesn't always do things where it makes sense to us. Marching around Jericho seven times, that's really good strategic you know, war strategy there. Or using Gideon or you know, knock, putting the staff in the water. Or, you know, I mean, there's so many different things. Putting mud on your eyes and going and washing. I mean, having the, the, the man with leprosy go dip in the Jordan. I mean, he always does these things, but why would we expect it to be any different in our lives? He's going to work differently in our lives than we could possibly imagine when we're yielded to him. So don't let that stumble you. 
Don't let it stumble you that he works in ways that doesn't make sense to anyone else and you at times, because that's what he does. Let's pray together. Father, just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that 